Well, you know, the music team is rocking when the drummer loses a stick. You know, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And next week, I'm hoping you'll break a stick, and then we'll really go, we'll go to a whole new level with that. Um, next week, we're going to do a message, the last one in our Healthy Families series. Thanks, Matt. Um, we're going to talk about the church family, because we are family together, and we get to do this together. And I'm blessed to be part of this family. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, I think we should wear name tags next Sunday. Is that okay with you? We're going to do it anyway. I just hoped you were okay with that. So uh, name tag Sunday. And we're going to take communion together. And I don't know if you've noticed yet, but I don't like to just do that routinely with sort of autopilot. Don't think about it. I want it to be special and powerful. And so I'm really trusting the Lord that that's going to be a very unique and dynamic part of our worship together as a family, because that's something we get to do every so often around here. Uh, Healthy families. Healthy families respect people of other races. Uh, They don't tolerate ethnic slurs. They don't look down on somebody who speaks a different language or whose skin is a different color. Uh, Healthy families. Healthy families... Um, support the parents in the crowd. And we try to encourage and help and teach. And, and uh, like Jesus, we bless the little children. Healthy families are honest about the state of our family dynamic. You know, there are good times and bad times. Things kind of go up and down. Uh, anybody ever remember uh, marriage vows that talked about... Uh, in plenty and in want. Anybody here ever been in want? Some of us have been in plenty. That's a good thing too, but it doesn't matter what it is, right? And how about in sickness and in health? Anybody ever had a spouse that's been sick or your family gone through a season of sickness? That is a test, friends. That is a test. And so a couple of weeks ago, we went through that checklist, you know, what's, what's the story? How's it going? Is your family a safe place? Is there shame or control or abuse going on? If not, we've got to get that stopped by the grace of God and with the help of each other. We've got we to treat one another with kindness and love in a godly way because we want to have what? Healthy families. What do we want to have? <laughs> what do you want to have, you know? A healthy family, that's what I want to have. And so guess what? God wants us to have that too. And then last week we talked about the fact that it doesn't matter what your family looks like. You can be a single parent family. You can be single again. You know, divorce is not God's perfect plan, but uh, interestingly, the Bible says he allows it because of the hardness of our heart. Anybody ever had a bit of a hard heart? You know, I don't want to change. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to serve Uh, hardness of heart leads to divorce. It's not ideal, but it's not unpardonable either. It's not something that God can't forgive us for and heal us from, move us on. Families, there are all kinds of healthy families. There are families that are multi-generational. I talked about my friends that adopted their great-granddaughter. And uh, there are more and more families with multiple generations living under the same roof. And Well, you name it, there's, there's kind of one of those kind of families, right? And there are many different configurations here at Davis and Free Methodist Church. 
And though we want to honor God's ideal, God's perfect plan, we also want to say all families matter. You matter. Your kids matter. Your grandkids matter. Have I mentioned I have grandkids? Exceptional grandkids, actually, but uh, I digress. So today we want to talk about what I consider to be the, the Bible's um, picture of the, the best foundation for a healthy family, extended family. It begins with a married couple, a, a husband and a wife together as a solid foundation together in Christ. And so as you can tell, we're kind of in wedding mode. Somebody asked me if I was going to a funeral. I said, no, I'm going to a wedding. Come on, didn't you get your email? So uh, today, we're actually going to have a bride and groom help us out in just a little bit. And we are going to remember and think together about the meaning of the symbols and, and uh, the, the words, the vows, uh, the various elements that are part of a wedding ceremony. But we're doing that in the context of reminding us of the importance of marriage to God and to us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that Davison Free Methodist Church wants to be a friend of the family. I mean that in every way, uh, to be helpful to those who are raising kids, to those who have teenagers. That's why we have a youth ministry. And we hope and pray that you and your family will take advantage of it, avail yourselves of the opportunities that we provide. We provide them because we want to help your family. And one of the things we want to be helpful to is marriages. We want marriages that put God first and that grow strong in Him. And uh, I've often said that a Christian marriage is a much more than two Christians being married. Uh, people give me a funny look when I say that. A Christian marriage is much more than two Christians being married. Because as we all know, uh, there are many couples, both Christian, who have ended up in divorce. Why? Because they didn't act like Christian, both of them consistently. You see, a Christian marriage is one where we forgive and find closure and healing and health and change with the help of God and move on. A, a Christian marriage is one that follows the biblical teaching of what a healthy marriage looks like. That teaching is found in three different places in the Bible. I learned a long time ago, if God says something three times over, he's serious. In fact, if he says it once, he's serious. But three times, three times, you better listen to that one, right? Right? Right, thank you very much. All right. So, in uh, Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve and brings them together, and God gives away the bride. I love that image. God gives away the bride. And in explaining their, their uh, commitment to one another, there's a particular verse that describes marriage. That's the same verse that Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter 19. When the teachers of the law come to him and say, you know, Moses taught us that, that we could divorce. Now, what do you say? And Jesus says, well, hold it. Uh, first of all, God didn't say that you should divorce. He said you could divorce because of the hardness of your heart. And then he quotes the same verse from Genesis chapter 2 
and says, but ideally, this is God's plan. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, when he teaches about the family, and he talks to wives and husbands and children and fathers, he, in the middle of that, he quotes the same verse. Genesis 2.24, Matthew chapter 19, and we see it again in Ephesians 5.31. And here it is. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Would you read the rest out loud with me? And be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, whenever I'm performing a wedding ceremony, I'll often give a short message. Uh, Some people call those a sermonette. I hate that word. Sermonettes are for Christianettes. Okay? All right? Don't, uh, don't, Don't say that around me. Uh, it's a it's a devotional thought, you know. It's a shorter message, and uh, in that I will almost always reference this passage because it's classic. You you can't really uh, go anywhere in talking about marriage if you don't start here, which is now remember this is a patriarchal society. I get it, you know. Now we would say a man and a woman would leave their parents, right? Uh, a man will leave. His father and mother. The key word there is leave. Leave. Uh, In the Hebrew and the Old Testament or the Greek and the New Testament, that's a really strong word. It's like uh, uh, be cut, be separated from. Now, I've talked to so many people who say, oh, well, that's the easy part. You just move out. Right? You just move out, move on, you leave. Well, that's... That's certainly not all that's implied in this passage. You can move out, but not move on. You can move out and have all kinds of baggage. You can move out and stay uh, unhealthily connected to mom and dad. There's this thing that happens uh, the first time a married couple goes back to visit the in-laws. And, uh, you know, if it's the groom's family, uh, it seems like the mom wants certain things done a certain way, and the bride doesn't really share that opinion, and the groom is in the middle, right? And which one do you choose? The bride, okay? Just a word of advice. You choose the bride. You choose the bride because you're leaving. And then this is a test. This really is a test. It works the other way too, right? You go to the bride's family, and there's the dad wants things done a certain way, and the groom is, you know undecided about how to handle that or the bride the the daughter has to decide you choose your spouse you leave father and mother in a healthy way you know um what's the goal of good parenting to help your children to grow up and be healthily independent and there's something i don't know there's something about some of us that about that time about you know, high school graduation or college graduation or especially marrying time, it gets a little insecure. And once, you know, I want to make sure they still love me. And there can be a very unhealthy thing coming from the, from the mom and the dad. That's why in the wedding ceremony, the dad or the mom or together, or whatever, they give the bride away, right? <laughs> when you give her away, she's away not under your primary influence. Now there's a new relationship. There's a new dynamic. And that dynamic is 
to leave and to cleave. Early on in our marriage, uh, someone had been teaching on this subject, a Christian leader, and they said, you know, leaving involves tying up loose ends back home. If there's been a division, uh, deep uh, pain or wound in your family, don't carry that into your new relationship. And don't think that just by turning your back on it, you can fix it. Uh, you need to prayerfully consider what, what you should do to make peace with your parents so that you can move on. And that was great advice for us. Both of us took some time in the first year or two of marriage, went back to our own parents and said, Mom and Dad, we love you. It's been great. You know, we appreciate all you've done for us. But you know that we're in this new relationship now and whatever unresolved stuff there's been, let's put that behind us. And there was giving and receiving of forgiveness and grace and it was a great foundation for a marriage. And I just want to say if that hasn't happened for you yet, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been married, it's never too late. It's never too late. Leaving, cleaving. Man shall leave his father and mother and be united. That word is, a, is another very strong word. It's like being glued, being connected. I think the biggest challenge for a lot of marriages is that we're so different as individuals. And when we come together, we often come together just sort of based on nice romantic feelings. Um, and we're not prepared for the hard work that's to follow. Uh, I mentioned in the first service this oddball comedy that I saw. I think it was year 2000 they made it. It's called The Tao of Steve. And it's this kind of weird guy who has all these philosophical comments. And uh, Steve McQueen and every other guy named Steve is his hero. He's not Steve. He just always thinks Steve has the right answer. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Yeah. So anyway, he's really weird that way. All right. He's wrong about that. But he keeps quoting Steve. So he goes on this uh, camping trip with his girlfriend and this married couple. And they're sitting around the campfire. And, and uh, Dex, who's always quoting Steve, says, I wonder what the real philosophy of most Americans is about love and marriage. And this comes out of the blue, right? And this married couple look at him and they, uh, they offer some lame answer. And he says, well, no. He says, no, actually, I think that in America today, our philosophy is that our, our uh, human relationships matter more than our relationship with God. <laughs> this is a weird comedy movie. Uh, where does that come from? And then he says, I think the dominant American religion today is romance. And I'm like, stop the DVR. <laughs> you know, this could, we just crossed over into profound. Because there's, obviously there's something here. There's something going on here. You know what people say when you ask, how will you know when you find the right person to marry? You'll just know. Now you don't say, you'll know. You say, you'll just know. You kind of shake your head. You can put it to one side, you know, and it's sort of like, that'll be this. You know, your heartstrings will zing. And you'll just know. And I'm like, well... I think there's a more Christian answer than that. I think it's like once you have taken the time to uh, get to know someone's character, 
and who they really are and what they really believe, as you prayerfully understand someone's deep, soulish being, there will be this sense in your spirit in time from God that this is right or it's not. And so it isn't just about the feelings. The feelings are great. The romance is beautiful. But there's more than that, which is, which is this be united to his wife. This is this cleaving thing. This is building a life together. It's like it's the book of Philippians. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. This is not about me and what I want and whether I'm getting everything I need. This is about us. And so uh, Scripture is very clear that a, that a great marriage involves a, a husband that says, I want what's best for my wife. And a wife who says, I want what's best for my husband. And when you're putting a lot of energy into completing and fulfilling one another and not just yourself, what happens is you become fulfilled as a byproduct. Not as the main focus of the relationship, but as a result of a giving, serving, loving, forgiving relationship. And I don't think it's so amazing that as many marriages fail as they do, I think it's amazing that marriages work when they do because we're very different. We're sinful, fallen, broken people. We tend to be self-centered and we need God to get us past that. And so it's my prayer that God will give us all the grace to be those kind of people. It isn't just finding the right person, it's being the right person. Leave, cleave, and one flesh. You know, this beautiful gift of our sexual nature that is designed by God to bond married partners at a soulish level. You know, the, the Bible talks about sexual sin and it says it just isn't just a sin against the body, it's a sin against the soul. When you join yourself sexually with another person, you don't just join bodies. It's not just a a purely physical thing. There's something uh, spiritual and soulish that's being connected. And it's a gift from God designed to do exactly that. That's why the church says treat sex uh, very carefully. Not not because it's bad, because it's good. (laughs) I remember Tony Campolo uh, once said that in most churches we teach that sex is a horrible, dirty, awful thing and you should save it for the one you love. (laughs) Well, we don't believe that. Amen? We do not believe that. We believe that sex is a beautiful, holy, amazing thing and you should... Save it for the one God intends you to share it with for a lifetime. And we want to honor the marriage bed, as the scripture says, and thank him for it and celebrate this gift. So the verse says, (laughs) I know there's a verse there. Ah, there it is. Uh, Leave, be united, cleave, and become one flesh. So I get that short devotional early in the ceremony. I don't give them the whole thing I just gave you, but you know, I kind of hit the highlights. And then and then we actually begin the ceremony. We have the bride and groom are here today. I found the some of the new newest newlyweds in our church family. Glenn and Linda Smith 
are with us here today, and they're going to come and uh, help me illustrate this. Woohoo! And uh, these guys were married in September. So uh, how many months is that? Five. Five. Time flies when you're having fun, right? And uh, so when you walked up the aisle, something was symbolized by that. In the Old Testament, uh, Genesis chapter 15, God makes covenant with Abraham. And when he does, he takes uh, animals and lays half of each animal on each side. And God comes down the middle with a torch. And he says, I am making covenant with you. Now, when you guys make wedding vows and we go through the ceremony, it's more than just a contract. It's a covenant. And a covenant involves God and us in this life commitment of heart, soul, mind, strength, everything we are, right? All right. You guys still in for this? Yes. All right. All right. So when you come down the aisle, you're like demonstrating this covenant aspect, okay? The family and friends are all here. Are you guys all here to witness this? Our family and our friends. So in a typical wedding ceremony, they're all sitting, you know, the families are up here at the front, and you have the guests seated, and they walk down. The bride usually comes down the aisle, and we begin the ceremony. And um, if it's a first marriage You know, they're just young kids, you know. The dad gives away the bride. What are the parents doing there in the middle of everything? Paying for it. (laughs) And blessing the couple, right? They're saying, we give you, leave. (laughs) We love you, leave, okay? We want to help you, leave. We want to be part of this. So then the dad sits down and, um, and we begin the ceremony and we do the little introduction to the ceremony. And then have you ever noticed how in most weddings there are two sets of vows? There's the uh, will you have this person to be, you know, your spouse. Where does that come from? That comes from the ancient Middle Eastern custom of betrothal. Uh, did you ever know that... Uh, Mary and Joseph were what? Betrothed. Betrothed. It's like um, engagement on steroids. Okay? It is, it is a uh, legal binding contract between families. Usually it happened about a year before the wedding. The parents who had been part of the selection of the bride and groom would come. They would meet. There would be a party. Money would be exchanged, the bride price, so that uh, now there's a contract in place so that anything happens to the groom, During that year, the bride goes to the groom's family and is treated as a widow, even though they're not married. That's how important betrothal was. Now, we have some of that in engagement. It's not as extensive as that. And we have the first set of vows. So, Glenn, do you still take... Linda, to be your wedded wife, your life partner, your closest friend, to live together in the covenant of marriage. Will, con- will you continue to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for her, so long as you both shall live? If so, say, 
I still do. I still do. All right. <laughs> Linda, do you have take Glenn, still take Glenn, to be your wedded husband, your life partner, and your closest friend, to live together in the covenant, the covenant of marriage? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him? And forsaking all others, keep yourself only for him, so long as you both shall live. If so, say, I still do. I still do. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, once they've uh, exchanged those vows, we usually have the repeat after me vows. And it's interesting, you know, I do a lot of weddings, and often the, the couple will want to write their own vows. And my answer to that is you can write your own vows, but as part of those vows, the timeless uh, scripture-based vows need to be included. And so I will add those vows. And um, those are the kind of vows you can build a life on. You know, sometimes when couples write their own vows, you remember, I think it was Brad Pitt, and Jennifer Aniston, which, you know, they're not married anymore, they promised to make milkshakes for each other, you know. Anyway, so, uh, so we, go with the, we, go, <laughs> we go with the classics, okay? Now, if you're a married couple and you're sitting anywhere near your spouse, I invite you to join me in uh, renewing your vows along with this couple. So would you stand if you'd like to do that? You don't have to do that. But if you're smart, you will, okay? <laughs> Nancy, come on up here. Okay, so it's I, and then this is the name of the groom. Still take you in the name of the bride, okay? I, Glenn, still take you, Nancy. Are you with me? Yes. To be my wife. To have and to hold. From this day forward, in plenty and in want, come on guys, you can do better than that, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, as long as our earthly lives endure. Ladies, I... Take you, take you Glenn, to be my husband, to be my husband, to have and to hold, to have and to hold, from this day forward, from this day forward, in plenty and in want, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to love and to cherish, as long. As our earthly lives endure. As long as our earthly lives endure. I now pronounce you still <laughs> husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. <laughs> you can be seated. Now you know when uh, when the pastor gets to the part where he says. By the authority invested to me as a minister of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you. That's a very important part of the ceremony. Because as Christians, we believe that um, marriage and the wedding is both a social, legal custom sanctioned by the state 
and by our nation, but it is also, even more importantly, a spiritual reality, blessed by God. So have any of you noticed there's been a controversy about marriage lately? Who should be married and who shouldn't be married and who the government recognizes and doesn't recognize? Well, by saying, by the authority invested in me as a minister of Jesus Christ, we're now, we're now claiming a higher authority, right? And we're saying God, under God, this relationship is blessed and now is one. And so... Now there's something new going on here. Oh, and then you exchange rings. Do you still have rings? Beautiful rings, aren't they? All right. So, uh, Glenn, you hold Linda's ring on her ring finger. Make sure he gets the right finger. And you say, uh, this ring I give you in token and pledge of our constant faith and abiding love. And then, Linda, you hold the ring on Glenn's ring finger. I give you this ring, you this ring in token and pledge, in token and pledge of, our constant faith of our constant faith and abiding love. And abiding love. Amen. Amen. And the ring is made of precious metal. It symbolizes the value you place on your marriage. And it's a circle, represents an endless uh, love eternally. And, um, and it marks you. Did you know that? You are a one-woman man. That's right. All right? You are a one-man woman, right? Uh, you're taken, right? That's what the ring symbolizes. And so we honor that commitment under God to one another. And now we say there's something new going on. There's a new family unit. There's a new marriage bond. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Glenn and Linda. Smith. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! <laughs> um. What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Amen. Amen. So, those are the reminders of some of the symbols involved with a marriage ceremony and a Christian wedding. The bigger issue is not whether we have good memories of those, but whether they're still alive in us today. And whether God can help us to move toward one another, toward him, to find the kind of healthy and stable and strong lifetime marriages that we can build on and encourage. And like I said at the beginning, our church is a friend of the family. We want to be a safe place. If you're struggling, if you're concerned, if you'd like to talk, if you need help, we're here. Not only are the pastoral staff here, but there are those who have had many years of healthy Christian marriage who would love to encourage you and help you and, and uh, be here for you. And together, we want to have healthy families, right? Healthy marriages, healthy parenting, uh, helping those who have been through divorce. You know, did you know that the Bible says that God hates divorce? And some people have misunderstood that to mean 
God hates people who've been divorced. That's very different. God does not hate people who has been divorced. He hates what divorce does, and so do I. Don't you? I hate the pain of divorce. I, I hate the consequences of divorce, but I love people, all people. And if that's part of your journey, God's grace is enough for you. And you are welcome here. And if you're not married yet, if you think you've found the person you, you, you love, don't, don't, don't do this, let's just live together until we get enough money to get a wedding and it never quite happens. And, you know, people talk to me like we're engaged, but we're living together and maybe someday we'll get married. It's like, come on, just do it, right? Do the right thing. Uh, I am a Marian pastor, right? And I would be more than happy to bless your relationship and help you if you're ready to make that step because here's what I know. God's plan is the best plan. God is not out to spoil our fun. God is not out to put rules around us that are going to keep us from enjoying everything in life. You know, someone told me a long time ago that we don't break the Ten Commandments. When we disobey them, they break us. And that is the truth. And so I just want the best for you. For you and your family and your relationship and your friends. And I want our church to be a place of hope and healing for every family, everywhere. Let's pray. While we're praying, the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing in just a moment. But Lord, thank you for every person here today. Whatever our relational world looks like, I just pray that you would bring healing and help and grace and good into it. I pray that every husband and wife here would learn to leave and cleave and be one flesh in a way that honors you. I pray for every couple that's not married yet that you would guide them in that decision as to what the next step should be. I pray for those who are recovering from the pain of divorce that you would bring healing and grace into their lives. I pray for every unconventional, non-traditional family that's represented in this room, that you would help us to know that you love us just the way we are. But by your grace, you want to make us more and more like you. And I pray that moving forward together, this would be a, a wonderful, healing, encouraging, helping place Not a country club where everyone's perfect, but a hospital where the sick and wounded are welcome. A place where we don't have to pretend. And where in the honest truth about who we are, we find love. We find God's love and we find the love of some wonderful people who care. And Lord, I just believe that, that the good thing you want to do in and through Davis and Free Methodist Church has really only just begun. It began 120 years ago with the people who founded this church and it has continued through a variety of pastors and a variety of lay leaders and it continues today. And Lord, may the future in you be even better and better 
and better. In Jesus' name, amen.